Ba'yivater Yaakov levado. Yaakov was left alone. Ba'yavek ish imo, and an ish wrestled with him. A man wrestled with him. Adalotashachar until the break of dawn. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he wrenched Yaakov's hip at its socket so that the socket of his hip was strained as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But he answered, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Said the other, what is your name? He replied, Yaakov. Said he, your name shall no longer be Yaakov, but Yisrael. Ki sarita im Elohim. For you have striven with Elohim, you have striven with God, ve'im anashim, and men, vatuchal, and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, pray, tell me your name, but he said, you must not ask my name. And he took leave of him there. The most important questions remain unanswered in the brief story, and every year we get to see the permutations the rabbis give to the Venn diagram of all the logical possibilities of who is who and what is what and what does it all mean. After all, the questions are left unanswered. Whom is Yaakov wrestling? Where it says it's just an ish, it's just a man. But is it really a man? Is it a dream? Isn't it an angel? Is it God, God's self? For you have you have striven with Elohim. Does Elohim, God, mean here divine beings? How should we translate it? You have striven with, striven with Elohim and with men and have prevailed. So this one's called an ish, a man. So like, isn't that the man, like one of the men that he prevailed over? And so we're not talking about an angel or a God at all. So is this man, so if this man is Elohim, why say you have striven with men at all? Why not just leave it as we're God wrestlers? He God wrestled. So the very story that says he wrestled with a man and won is not the reference of you have striven with men and won. And if the wrestling partner is Elohim, God, why say it's a man? And why not reveal that at the end when there is no revelation of identity? And in addition, except for really one place in Torah, the, um, the visitation with Sarah and Abraham of the three figures, except for that one place, angels and God are not identical in the Torah. Rashi, among others, resolves this latter issue by saying they are certainly not identical, and that the man was Esau's guardian angel. So that Yaakov is reliving his womb experience. In the womb, he grabbed Esau's heel, hoping to prevail and come out first. An attempt that does not succeed from the womb, but eventually succeeds so that Yaakov prevails by supplanting Esau. But as he is now about to face Esau and almost certain death at his hands, the womb experience is relived. Can Yaakov prevail again, supplanting the brother, prevailing over him? Or will he fail? Yaakov prevails again. Rashi is not stupid. This time with Esav, the number two, trying to pull down Yaakov and become number one again. But all he can manage, whereas in the womb, Yaakov's pulling at Esav's heel, here, the Esav guardian angel, or Esav, the, the idea is that the Ish looks just like Esav, identical, pulls on Yaakov's thigh and displaces it. 
So all he can manage is disjoining the thigh. They're reversed. Esav trying to overcome this time, get back his birthright, get back the tribe, supplant his brother. Just as Yaakov could only manage pulling the heel, not actually being born first. But by resolving that the man is an angel, the image of Esav and his guardian angel, we are left with puzzlement over what it means that Yaakov wrestled with God, with Elohim. Because Elohim does not refer to Esav's guardian angel. So when did that happen? What is it? Where, where's the wrestling with God? Why would Yaakov be fighting God? So the rabbis come up with many permutations of answering. Is it God? Some believe, so the rabbis take all positions. I'm just following Rashi this time. Why would Yaakov be fighting God? So if you notice back in the Hebrew, where he's named, it says, said he, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. He Sarita, because you have striven im Elohim with God. And the rabbis say, what if, why would we be fighting God? Why would he be fighting God? So what if it's im, Yisrael, im Elohim, meaning he fought with God at his side? That's what we mean. Fight, may God be at your side when you have to fight the hard fights. So that it's not that he's fighting God. He's fighting, he's wrestling with God at his side. But if God is at his side, why isn't God doing anything? Why isn't God helping? What does it mean that God's just going to stand there and be, an, and be a bystander? And that's what I'm going to attempt to give you my position on today. So try this. Yaakov is the parade example of the biblical figure who lives with anxiety, but prevails through it. He is not the stay at home, I don't want to be a leader, I just want to stay in and cook. He's not that figure, but he comes across that way. And the rabbis portray him occasionally as this mild-mannered person, non-assertive victim. But that's not the text. He actually is the one who tried to supplant his brother from the very womb. He is the one, and he's not like a pawn in his mother's plan. He does dress up at his brother, and he does get the blessing. He does succeed. He does supplant, he does overcome, and he does manage the flight from Canaan to Lavans all by himself, his first revelation of the angels on the stairwell. And he does work for Lavan after getting cheated, not as a passive slave, but as someone building a flock and a giant family who then strategizes to take much of Lavan's flock and then flees with his family, which must have been very anxiety producing while being pursued, all part of his plan. But unlike the hunter hero type like Esav, all of this is done with enormous anxiety at the same time. He simply can't not think about the terrible danger he's in and the emotional cost that happens when you're facing these obstacles and trying to prevail. He needs God at his side, watching him as he prevails using his own wits and his his own story. Here he is about to face his brother, and he cannot not think about it. In fact, if Rashi is correct, and it's as good as interpretation as any, then he literally is facing his brother in his mind before actually facing his brother in his flesh. Although anxiety teaches us it's not just in your mind, it's actually in your body too. Because like, really, that's what panic is, panic attacks and anxiety. It's that you're living it before it has to happen. Like, 
before giving a Kol Nidre sermon or Yom Kippur sermon, I'm just living it in my mind for about two weeks. You're just living it. And it's like your body is actually there before it ever happens. I can see it with my kids, right? They're like, daddy, I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm really anxious because tomorrow my best friend's not gonna be there, but they're the one that has the assignment that we're supposed to have. And so I don't know what's gonna happen when I get called on, but I have to be like, but they're not here, but they had the work we did and I don't have a copy and I don't think that's okay. I'm like, she's living the whole thing right there in her body, in her kishkas. So it's so easy to be like, oh, don't, you know, don't experience it in your mind. That's what Yaakov is. He's a guy that experiences these things with these dreams and with this stress every time. And yet, what does he do? He keeps going. And he actually succeeds and prevails. He doesn't overcome the anxiety. He overcomes inaction with anxiety. He is the person, Yisrael and Yaakov. He overcomes even though he feels the anxiety and experiences it all the way up. But then he does it. He can't not think about it. So here he is about to face his brother and he feels it. He feels the panic. If you got advice from others, there's no reason to think about it. You'll just face it tomorrow. That's absolutely no help at all. It's what our children go through. I can't sleep because the test is tomorrow. And if you say, just go to sleep, the test isn't right now. It'll just fall on deaf ears because they're living it now. I can't sleep because I won't have anyone to sit with tomorrow. I won't know where to go. I can't sleep because I don't understand the instructions the teacher gave me. That happens at least once a week. And I don't have the right book to study from. And it's all happening tomorrow. That's Yaakov before facing Esav. The wrestling story is Yaakov redoing the wrestling in the womb, but this time facing losing. And don't misunderstand him. He wants to win. He is facing losing everything. If the anxiety response is defined as fight or flight, he wants to fight but he is experiencing the fight or flight response that defines panic. So then what's the story saying? Yaakov is one who prevails, even though he lives with anxiety and panic. And instead of giving up, he moves forward anyway. And so Yisrael, he is one who struggles against men, not just in real life, but ahead of time. And in the moment of his psyche, and yet he continues anyway. And so he's not wrestling against God. He's wrestling with God. God is the witness. God is the help. And the text says, Im Elohim. So with God right by the side. But why isn't God doing anything? Why doesn't God intervene? Because if God intervenes, Yaakov has no success story. He has no hearer story. He has no experience that you can actually feel all of that panic and do the things you desperately want to do. We as parents often mess up with this, and I know I do, which is one of the reasons that starting in January, I'm going to be leading parenting classes here for parents of any age who want to come. And it's going to be based on texts like this that I bring in and the book Breaking Free of Child Anxiety by uh, Dr. Eli Leibovitzavia. What it means is that we're not helping our kids when we either say, you know what, it's okay, let's just do the project now, like stay up late so you'll have it all done, or let's call your friend, or maybe you can stay home from school. Or even in little ways, we do this all the time that I've learned. I've got one daughter who really can't stand getting a shot. She would rather get the flu than get the shot. And that's a very logical argument. She's, like, she's going to be a rabbi, right? Well, actually, I'm willing to face the flu rather than the shot. So what's the big deal, right? And you're the one telling me, do the things you're afraid to do. You're not going to die. Well, I'm not going to die from the flu. So there you go, right? So what do I do? 
I say things, and Dr. Leibovitz, I didn't choose it just because he's Jewish, but nice coincidence. So it's, he says things. Do you say things, Nadav, like um, they ask me all the time, Daddy, will it hurt? Even though they've experienced it before, they're not that young. I'm like, will it hurt? And I say, well, you know, Daddy, does it hurt you? I say, not really. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little sting. It goes away really quick. And by the way, as you get bigger, you don't really feel it. So what that teaches them according here is that I'm not like you, Daddy because it really hurts me. And you're not scared of getting it because it doesn't hurt, but it does hurt me. And so I am scared of it. So the hero story is daddy's. They don't have their own hero story. They don't have the story of facing something and overcoming it. So what he says is, and I do this now, which is actually the truth. It does hurt. And it hurt all day after I got my last vaccine shot. It just did. I don't know if they missed the spot or it's supposed to hurt or what, but the truth is it hurts. And so I tell them, yeah, it hurts. It hurts the whole time. And then they hurt. Sometimes it hurts later and I'm going to do it anyway. So let's get all excited because tomorrow let's go get hurt. Your job is not to take the hero story away from depriving the children of discomfort. Your job is to stand there and support them. They don't go through it alone but you're there. I know that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to face your teacher. What do you think you might do? Uh, I know that you're going to figure out something and you're going to handle something. You're going to, and, and so God stands by because if God intervened, Yaakov wouldn't have a story to tell. It's a story of success. I don't know if I ever could have become a rabbi if I didn't have three days of general exams for, for my, in my doctoral program that were brutal. Three full days of writing and evaluation by my dissertation team, and then three hours of defense of what I wrote and my thesis proposal. And one of them I consider to be the most famous philosopher in the world and I, at the time, and I think in 20th century, late 20th century, and I didn't work with him. He was my third reader. So this is my three hours in front of what I consider to be the most important philosopher in the world in late 20th century. And I just did it all through complete panic. My doctoral advisor came up to me afterward and he was like, you're not, you weren't as good as usual. You were like, what was wrong with you? And I said, four day panic attack. And he looked at me like, oh, that's too bad. And I asked him, I was like, do you suffer from those? No. So I like realized, oh, he's a hero. He's a superhero. He's superhuman. I should be like that or I shouldn't even be a professor, right? Because I, I'm not like him. What I really needed to hear is what my brother told me is PhD. And he said, oh, my God, it was awful. It's like this brutal, like, rite of passage. You should have seen what they said to me. You did. It was just like what you said. Right. That's what I needed to hear. And now look at me. Oh, it's fine. Be a professor. Don't worry about it. You're going to have that when you stand in front of people. So what you need is to have your own hero story. And the people who have been through it tell you to do the things that you most want to do in life. You may well every single time have to fight the panic and the anxiety. You may well every single time live it before it happens. But if you really want to if you really want to do those things, if you really want to lead the tribe, if you really want to be a rabbi, if you really want to be a scientist who heads up a lab and work on cancer research or whatever you work on, if you really want to do it, that's what it means. You're going to be, I'm going to watch you do it. I'm going to support you. I'm going to be, remind you. I'm going to be right here like God is standing by while you gain your hero story. And that is exactly what Rivka did 
when she, I mean, the trust that she must have had to send Yaakov forth and to know that he's going to be able to face the things that he's going to have to face without being able to text back and forth how, to, how he's supposed to go through those. And that's what we do with Barmbat and Brit Mitzvah. The kids want it to be the perfect experience and they're racked from anxiety. And it's rarely a perfect experience. They want it to be the perfect performance. They want it to be the perfect party. But that's not where we're trying to give them. We're trying to give them the hero story. The experience of doing it all, and it's not perfect, along with the anxiety, because it's something they want to do. And then from then on, they can say, I didn't die from anxiety. And you never do. And hope comes with the dawn. We create a monster out of anxiety because we treat it like it's something we cannot tolerate. But we can. We can wrestle with it. And it'll be there the whole way through. And we can prevail by doing the things we need to do. I pulled his heel once. I can do it again. The Barba Mitzvah process teaches us this. We are giving our children their hero story, not just asking them to inherit ours. Shabbat Shalom.